You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. Will I let Jesus prove to me that he's truly my strength? To let him prove inside of me that through him I can do all things. The True Strength Life Podcast with Aaron Simpkins. Aaron Simpkins here, your host of the True Strength Life Podcast. I am posting a uh, lesson I did at my church actually two years ago about the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this being Easter weekend, I want to share that with you guys. So uh, I hope you enjoy this. I hope you learn something. I hope that I have become a better teacher since then. (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, This evidence is real. This evidence exists. There is a lot, way more than what I talk about in this lesson. Um, But this is just something that I put together that, that, you know, stood out to me. And, uh, and this being again, resurrection weekend, I just want to post this and and put it out there and and, then please share this, please put this around and, and uh, enjoy. Thank you guys. Christian apologetics is, is one of the most popular ones, and also the right one, but that's the best point. Um, that's one thing that I'm going to hopefully prove today uh, for the, in terms of the resurrection. Um, the verse that uh, most people go to for why apologetics is important is from 1 Peter 3, 15. Uh, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Uh, and 16 says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. I think sometimes we forget that second part. Because, you know, when, when we're, a lot of times how we are when we get facts, we like to just spit them out and tell people they're wrong because we have facts. But, uh, you know, it's important how we do it. Uh, so, I have the task of maybe the most important 
uh, topic, uh, I almost you could say in history, I guess, the, is the resurrection true? Um, and part of why I say that is uh, in the Bible, in, in the Bible is is you know you could say is our holy book. Uh, every religion has like their their uh, scriptures, their book, um, but ours is the only one that has a section in it where where it says if this one event is not true then the whole rest of it is just garbage and pointless um, which is unique to Christianity unique to the Bible um, so where that is is first uh, Corinthians 15 I'm gonna read a few different a few verses so if you want to turn there it's fine uh, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8, and then 12 through 19. <clears throat> and this is Paul. Uh, Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is this good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. That's an important phrase, what has also been passed on to me. Uh, Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James, and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. Uh, 12 through 19. But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you, why are some of you, saying, uh, some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all preaching is useless and your faith, your faith is useless. And we apostles would, would all be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. <clears throat> and if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hoping, if our hoping Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. So, as Paul just says, if, if this one event is not true, uh, then our faith is useless and, and we're pathetic. We're to be pitied among everybody. Um, so, uh, the handout that I gave you is, um, I'm really only going to be, it has two sides to it, the case of Christianity, uh, which is eight points and then 12 known historical facts. Um, I'm only going to be dealing with the historical facts side. Uh, and then the other page I'll mention a little later on. Um, this this is from uh, this was put together by a guy named Dr. Craig Hazen. He started the apologetics uh, the apologetics um, side of Biola University, and uh, he is a PhD in world religion study. Um, so he he has a very good idea of what all the other major beliefs are out there, um, what they say, what their, what their books say, and, and all that. Um, and, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, 
our book is unique in that it hinders on one event being true. So he, he gives the example of picture, picture holding up a string with a weight on the end of it. And the weight represents the one event, the resurrection. If that's not true, like, and, all, and all people have to do to, to cut out everything else, cut out everything in the Bible, cut out all of our faith, um, and everything else being, being pointless, is just cut that string. Because then that falls apart. If they can prove the resurrection wrong, everything else falls apart. And uh, so it's really unique in that. And, but he's like, he, he, he's like, I don't know what that string's made out of, but nobody up to this point has been able to cut it. Um, so hopefully I'll give a clear explanation on, on why. Uh, give you some reasons why that is true. Uh, so that leaves us where Christianity is testable. Uh, again, uh, that is pretty unique to all world beliefs. Uh, is that we have a evidence-based faith. Uh, it's testable. Um, archaeology has proven over and over that what the Bible says is true. Uh, there's... Um, there's never been something found in archaeology that is contradictory to something in the Bible. And that's, those aren't, I don't say that lightly because uh, that's, that's something that alone has been studied by many, many scholars and many people alike. Um, so that's not just a light statement to throw out there. But, uh, so I'm going to mention scholars. When I refer to New Testament scholars throughout this lesson, uh, the guys that, that, that this list was pulled from um, are guys that are New Testament scholars in the sense that, but they're not believers. Um, they're, most of them are skeptical uh, or even atheist New Testament scholars. Um, so these facts come from guys that they may say these things and to us it's like, oh, well, why don't you believe? But at the end of the day, they say this. They, you know, these facts are true, but then they have a different outcome. Um, but we'll see at the end why these make the most sense. Um, so, uh, and, and as Dr. Hazen says, and this, this was, I had Jim in mind when I was making this, uh, I mentioned Josh McDowell. Uh, Dr. Hazen says that um, the way Josh McDowell, who is a legendary apologist from 70s, 80s, and 90s, and you know he's still around today doing stuff, but uh, but he's an old guy like some of you guys. Um, and <laughs> but what the way that he did it, the way he presented this argument was he would he would go through the reliability of scriptures and uh, and prove that first, give that a whole presentation, and then he would go into so that should you know. So that is why the resurrection is true, because, you know, we know the scriptures are so reliable. He would kind of present it in that way. Um, and as Dr. Hazen has found out is that, because um, Hazen is another guy who he travels around speaking to university, and he's on campuses all the time. So he has dealings with a lot of people uh, of newer generations. And he said that, that uh, he noticed that a lot of people weren't receptive to that style of, of giving this argument. And that was because a lot of people were already going into it thinking that the Bible was an evil book. So proving the reliability of the scriptures doesn't necessarily help somebody when they already think that what the scripture says is, is, is just not good. Um, now, giving the reliability of scriptures definitely is a huge thing that we need to know about um, because it, it helps a lot in many other ways. Um, but just the, the way that 
I'm kind of going to do this lesson um, is a little bit different. So the way that, that Dr. Hazen starts it is uh, he's, he, he, again, pulls from skeptical scholars and says, here, this is what, basically, this is what your people say, and then we're going to lay it all out for you and see what, what, is, uh, what makes sense at the end. So number one is Jesus died by crucifixion. Uh, you see that's a core fact number two. But that's number one. Jesus died by crucifixion. Uh, that is across the board agreed upon by all scholars of, of all theological levels. Um, now, uh, simply, why is, that, why is that very important to begin with? Well, that proves what, what, did, what did Jesus have to be for him to die? God. He had to be real. He had to be a real person that actually walked <clears throat> this earth and, and be in history uh, as a real person. And uh, so that's pretty cool right from the get-go that, that everybody acknowledges that. Now, when you, if, you, if you go on the Internet, you're going to see a bunch of people on all these different uh, posts and stuff like that. And I'm sure all through Facebook you see some of your friends say this kind of stuff that Jesus was, wasn't real. He was a legend, um, which I might get to that a little bit more later. Um, but, uh, but when you get higher up the levels at, at the scholarly level, that's like a, a non-issue. It's, it's not a thing. Everybody agrees that Jesus was actually a real person. So, um, so he died of crucifixion. Now I'm going to stay on, on this one for a little bit because I really want to hammer that one home. Um, but before I do that, I just want to bring up some quotes from some atheists and skeptical scholars. So atheist scholar Gerd Luderman says, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. Skeptic scholar John Dominic Croson says, There is not the slightest doubt about the fact of Jesus' crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. Skeptical scholar Marcus Borg, Jesus' execution is the most certain fact about the historical <clears throat> Jesus. And probably the most famous uh, skeptical scholar um, of nowadays is, is a guy by Bart Ehrman. And he says, One of the most certain facts of history is that Jesus was crucified on orders of the Roman prefect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. So, kind of just to give you some names to what I've been saying and, and you know, what they say about the crucifixion, to kind of put that, uh, put that out there. But, so again, I'm going to uh, talk about a li little bit about uh, Roman crucifixion. Um, it was probably the worst way to die in recorded history. The, what they went through um, from the beginning to the end, uh, it, it, it was so uh, just the pain and, and the torture and all the torment that they went through physically and mentally was, was so much that like, there actually wasn't even a word to explain it. That's where the word excruciating comes from, is from crucifixion, to explain what they went through on crucifixion. Um, so uh, to, to kind of lead this off, um, we're going to start before Jesus even um, got into uh, where he was, he was caught and all. In the Garden of Gethsemane, um, Luke twenty-two forty-four. 44, uh, while, while Jesus was praying, it, it says that he, he actually started sweating blood. Um, and uh, this is actually a, a, a medical term known as um, hematidrosis. 
uh, which, um, well, let me back up real quick. I'm going to come from, uh, in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Easter, which is The Case for the Resurrection, he interviews, um, about the crucifixion, he interviews a medical doctor, Alexander Metherall, um, to, to help him better understand what Jesus' body was going through medically and physically uh, as this whole process was happening. So the significance of him sweating blood was that through this, this condition we know now medically, um, it, it would have made his skin, uh, his skin softer than normal and, and even more susceptible to the flogging and all that was going to come next. Um, so most commonly floggings in, in uh, the Romans, they would do 39 lashes. Uh, now, there's been, uh, they, they know that uh, there was a lot of times they would go over that, but 39 was kind of like the known number that they would give. And the, what they used was a braided leather um, uh, whip that had metal balls and pieces of sharp bone attached to the end of it. So what this would do is it would cause severe bruising, breaking of bones and things like that, and also the bone would just shred apart any skin and shred apart muscle and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, third century historian Eusebius said about, uh, about a Roman flogging one time, the sufferer's veins were laid bare and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. And this is just the first step of crucifixion. This is, this is the first thing that he's going through. So, uh, so again, medically speaking, Dr. Methrell said about the flogging alone, uh, the victim will most likely experience hypovolemic shock, which is uh, hypo means low, vol means, refers to volume, and emic means blood, uh, means blood. So hypovolemic shock means the person is suffering the effects of losing, I, I'm reading straight off the paper because this is actually a quote, um, is suffering the effects of losing a large amount of blood. That does four things. First, the heart races to try to pump blood that isn't there. Second, the blood pressure drops, causing fainting or collapse. Sound familiar? Uh, third, the kidneys stop producing urine to maintain what volume is left. And fourth, the person becomes very thirsty as the body craves fluids to replace the lost blood volume. Sound familiar again? Um, so with what was, uh, um, so with what was said again, it sounds familiar because we know as he, as Jesus was cross was uh, carrying the crossbeam um, of Calvary, uh, he collapsed and had to have had to have somebody from the crowd carry it for him. Um, it also mentioned that, that he, he said that he was very thirsty while he was on the cross, um, which lines up medically with, with what we know now medically with that condition, somebody going through that. Um, and uh, it also says um, uh, that he, the way that they were hung up on the cross, um, nails would have went through the wrist uh, commonly, we, we see hands or we, we hear of, you know, nails would have went through the hands, but uh, in their language back then, hand was really kind of just this general area. But we know, we know that it would have been here because if it went through the palm, the weight of the victim, would they would have just shredded through the hand. So it, they, it wouldn't have been through the hand, it would have been through the wrist. Um, and, uh, and it says that, that and because he was hanging like that, and, and again, nails through the, through the ankles, and not really being able to push himself up, the weight, his weight 
would have dislocated his shoulders, um, which we know from Psalms 22, 14 is a prophecy about what was going to happen. And, uh, and, and Dr. Methwell says, once a person is hanging in the vertical position, crucifixion is essentially an agonizingly slow death by asphyxiation because he couldn't breathe. And then, even on top of that, uh, to be sure, Roman soldiers speared Jesus in the side, uh, through the lung, into the heart, John 19.34. And uh, that's, that, what we know through that is that he, he leaked out water and blood, which also goes with what we know medically, that if that was to happen, um, we know medically that he would have leaked water and blood. So what the Bible said 2,000 years ago matches up with uh, what we know now. Um, so that's just to me going through that uh, I, was, I was reading that chapter um, about him medically ex- explaining the whole crucifixion and uh, it was kind of hard to, to read a little bit but um, it, in one sense it was pretty cool to see how how what was written that long ago um, matches up exactly with what we know now medically and, uh, but I gotta get going because I'm going long enough. But, uh, number two, he was buried. It usually uh, happens that way, don't worry about it. What'd you say? It usually happens that way. Yeah. It kills a little longer than you thought. So, number two, he was buried. Um, that looks short and sweet and simple, but that's, uh, simply put, it's because everybody agrees, scholarly again, everybody agrees that he was buried. Now, when you get into. Was he buried in the tomb by Joseph Arimathea? Was he buried in the common grave pit, uh, which we know some crucifixion victims were, were put in? When you start getting to those details, a couple scholars fall off here and there, but it's still actually widely across the board um, agreed upon now that it was a tomb provided by Joseph of Arimathea. Um, number three, Jesus' death caused the disciples to despair and lose hope, believing that his life was ended. <clears throat> Um, uh, one good example of this, I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit, uh, uh, well, yeah, but one good example of this is, um, Peter's three denials. Uh, Peter, the guy who, um, basically was Jesus' right hand man, um, and, and he denies him three times. Uh, they, they lost hope because one reason that they would have lost hope uh, is because they would have actually seen him die. They would have actually known that he was dead. They, they, he was, it was known that he was dead. Um, but number four, the tomb was discovered to be empty just a few days later. Uh, the tomb was found, um, again, that's, that's a, uh, a fact that everybody agrees on, but one, one thing to even back that even more was that the tomb was found by women. Uh, if Back in that culture, women, I think Gary touched on this last week. Um, I'm sure many of you already know this, but uh, women were not equal, not even close to what men were considered. Um, they, they, uh, their word didn't really mean much. Um, so if you, were, if you were writing a story, and, and also, again, going to 1 Corinthians 15, if you were writing a story and if you were saying that everything hinders on this one event, and you were writing as a person from back then, you wouldn't have said that women found it because nobody would have trusted you. So, again, that's just uh, another thing that, uh, reason that 
that gives us um, some more faith of why this is actually true. Um, number five, the disciples had experiences which they believed were literal appearances of the risen Jesus. Um, they were uh, literal appearances of the risen Jesus. What does that mean? That means that they believed they actually saw him in physical form, uh, in front of them, and he, he was there. Uh, so that's, that's pretty big. Now that doesn't, you know, any skeptic could hear that and be like, well, all right, they just believe that, but I don't, I don't care about that. I don't believe it. But that's not the point. Um, the point is, uh, as we keep going, well, um, number six um, kind of proves that even better. The disciples were transformed from doubters who were afraid to identify themselves with Jesus to bold proclaimers of his death and resurrection. So these guys, again, um, in number three, they were uh, in despair and they lost hope. Um, and then number six, they're somehow transformed all of a sudden to these guys that will go to the ends of the earth, uh, even by themselves, and become martyrs uh, for him. So something huge must have happened for that to be possible. Um, number seven, this message was the center of preaching in the early church. Again, if you wanted to get a movement going uh, and... and uh, you know, you wanted to get a movement going and all. You wouldn't have had hindered it on one event that wasn't actually true. Because then people would have just said, all right, well, it's, it's not true. And we know this because of this, this, and this. So uh, the, the beginning church would have just kind of fell flat and, and just fizzled out. Um, number eight, this message was especially proclaimed in Jerusalem where Jesus died and was buried shortly before. The people of Jerusalem would have known best whether or not this was true, because it actually happened in that area. So again, in number se again going back to seven, this message was the center of the preaching. Um, if the, and, it, and it gained ground in Jerusalem, and, and it just went further from, out there, from there. The people of Jerusalem would have known the best. They, they would have known... Whether or not, it would have been easy for them to prove that it wasn't true um, because they were actually from that area. There was actually a bunch of people that would have known that this was uh, uh, a bunch of people in that area that would have experienced that. Um, so it would have been easy for it to fall flat there, but it didn't. It, it kept going further and further. Number nine, as a result of this preaching, the church was born and grew. Um, I kind of already hit on that a little bit. Um, number 10, Sunday became the primary day of worship. Now, that might be a little, uh, might sound weird to begin with, but uh, the reason that's significant is because for literally thousands of years in Jewish tradition, it was, it was Saturday. Saturday was the day of worship. Um, Sunday became the day because that was, that was the third day, that, that was the day that Jesus was, uh, was raised again. Uh, was raised again, was resurrected. Um, so that's why uh, it, the primary day changed to Sunday. And again, hammering home, in that culture, they, they don't just change things easily. They don't just, you know, it had to have been a major event for all of a sudden this to become the primary thing. And uh, uh, so that's why that, that's such a big deal. Um, and again, 
uh, I don't know if, if you may be sitting there thinking this, that if he died on Friday and he was raised on Sunday, that's not the third day. Uh, the way that they kind of track days was a little bit different than we do now. Um, if he would have died, uh, they, they considered, um, see, that, and when, I, when I was trying to explain this to myself earlier to say it better, I kind of confused, so it might sound confusing the way I say it. Uh, but it, it was Friday, um, even if it was uh, 11 p.m. that this event happened, um, that still was, was one full day. So that was one, Saturday two, Sunday three. So did I explain that well? Maybe. Three days. Maybe. Yeah, three days. Um, so uh, 11, James, who had been a skeptic, was converted to the faith when he also believed he saw the resurrected Jesus. Um, that one's pretty important because uh, being Jesus' brother, I'm sure it was very hard to, if you can put yourself in those shoes, it was very hard to believe that your brother was the Messiah. Because uh, that's kind of just a, a weird thing to admit. Um, but knowing that he had died, knowing that he had seen him again, in physical form, he became a believer. So that's why that's significant. Um, and, and then last one, number 12, a few years later, Paul was converted by an experience which he likewise believed to be the appearance of the risen Jesus. Uh, Paul being converted um, is huge for a few different reasons. One, he was uh, a persecutor of the Christian church, and then all of a sudden, he's now the biggest proclaimer of, of this, this resurrection. <coughs> um, why? There had to have been something significant that happened there. Because uh, he wouldn't have just went from one extreme to another all of a sudden and then, uh, and then gone through everything that he went through and still proclaimed it, still claimed it to be true. Um, and another reason uh, Paul is significant is because... Uh, uh, all New Testament scholars basically agree that Paul is the most uh, reliable person we have from the New Testament. Um, Gary Habermas is a guy, uh, uh, is a Christian scholar who uh, is probably one of the top two or three um, guys to go to to learn about the resurrection nowadays. And um, uh, he, he mentions, he, he has this thing um, called the five minimal facts where it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different style, but kind of, uh, it's a presentation he does, again, of, of how to prove the resurrection to be the best, um, the best answer for all the facts by just giving five. And he mentions that, he even takes it one step further and mentions that uh, the, the liberal of the most liberal New Testament scholars, so super atheist, skeptical guys, they, they throw out all but seven, um, all but all the books of the New Testament except Paul's, and they accept Paul's as okay. Well, this is this is pretty legit. Paul, uh, Paul was real. What he wrote, uh, you know, what is is pretty credible. So we'll give you that. Um, but we you can, you can prove the resurrection just through Paul's writings if you have to, which is uh, uh, one of the presentations Gary Habermas does. So uh, if you get a chance looking at that, it, it's pretty cool. Um, so, on your other page, 
which I guess I'll just touch on for a minute. Um, this is a chart put together. Which theory best fits the data about the resurrection claims? So again, uh, we're taking from the, the 12 facts that we have from the other page. And one side, the tomb was occupied. One side, the tomb was empty. And then when you get down all the way to the bottom, you see these different names. These are all different. These are the most popular theories uh, throughout history and nowadays that are out there about this story, about the resurrection story. Um, but these numbers at the bottom of them are, uh, these numbers represent where those theories fall flat. Uh, and um, so basically, like, like I said, the, the legend theory, uh, which is on the left side, falls flat on all 12 of them. Because if he's just a legend, then how can any of these 12 facts that we just mentioned be true? They wouldn't actually be facts, but everybody agrees with the facts. So how can this be a legendary story? So uh, uh, that one was, um, uh, I think that was kind of funny. The twin, I gotta mention this story real quick. Uh, the twin theory, which falls flat on four and 11. Um, again, Dr. Hazen, he mentions this funny story where uh, a guy did his doctoral dissertation on uh, that Jesus had a twin, and like that was what actually happened. So he called Dr. Hazen up, and he and he said, "Listen, I'd like to. Um, I'm working on writing a book for this. I have some publishers lined up." Uh, so uh, what Dr. Hazen did was um, he 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 convinced him to take a debate against uh, a Christian. Uh, uh, a Christian scholar and debate this theory, the twin theory, like could this have actually been what happened? Is this the best explanation for the facts or not? And uh, so Hazen, being the funny guy he is, he put him up against William Lane Craig, um, which I don't know if that means anything to you guys, but that guy is a legend and I don't think he's ever lost a debate uh, or even got close to one. Um, and so the story goes that they debated each other, and uh, William Lane Craig kind of very gently, like, he, he, he destroyed him. And after that, uh, no more publishers were calling that guy about writing a book on the twin theory, because they, they weren't really interested. Um, and so we get all the way to the end, uh, on the right side. Uh, all data fits applies to Jesus was an alien, um, or... He really had a bodily resurrection. Um, Jesus was an alien. It's kind of, in one sense, it's true because, yes, he didn't belong to this earth. So in that sense, he, yeah, he's an alien. Um, but in the Martian space guy's sense, uh, you know, what, what proof do we have for that? What, what even shred of evidence is there for that, for somebody even making a case for that, there isn't. It's all just completely conspiracy theories and people coming up with stories and, and alternate endings of how this could have been true. It's just not. Um, so the best, the best explanation for the facts that all New Testament scholars agree on that I just talked about is that the bodily resurrection actually happened. Um, so... Why that's important and why I printed out these um, for you guys to take home is, uh, is 
when we get into conversations about facts and about our beliefs and worldviews and stuff with people, um, they question events and all, um, a lot of times it's, it's pushed to us, it's presented to us, like all the, all the burden of proof is on us. Um, so this is, this is something that, you know, you, you could talk to somebody about and be like, well, if everybody, whether a believer or not, agrees on these certain facts, now you tell me why this isn't the best explanation for those facts. So, you know, don't just accept that the burden of proof is always on us to prove these things, because it's not. It, no matter what worldview you have, you, you, they have to prove these same things um, through their worldview, and it has to make the best sense. Uh, so, um, that's why, you know, I, I don't know, that, that's just one reason why I, I really like this kind of stuff. Um, if you're interested in learning more uh, from a couple books that talk specifically about this, again, Craig Hazen has some, uh, William Lane Craig has some about the resurrection, uh, Lee Strobel, The Case for Easter, which I already mentioned, uh, and Gary Habermas has some books, because uh, I think this is... This is something that's really important for us to know. Because um, again, go back to the beginning, everything we know hinders on this event. So this event is significant, and we should, we should know about it. Um, so I think that's where I'm finished. Anybody got anything to say? <coughs> Questions, thoughts? No? Well, the fact that he talked about the disciples' lives, but that is a continuous proof because it's still happening. You know, we're, we're still in this room right now. Let's yeah. say, right? We're still here and our lives have, you know, can attest to the change that God is still bringing in the lives of people who believe these facts. And I don't think any of us, although a few of us may be a little crazy, I mean, none of us think we are. So, yeah. you know, and even uh, for the Apostle Paul, some you know, I understand some scholars will accept his writings over the others because he was one born out of the due time or proper time. And one of the yeah. theories of that is that, you know, he didn't have, you know, all the, the nurturing that, uh, that the other apostles had. But at the same time, then he wasn't, as his critic would say, unduly influenced or brainwashed by Jesus. Yeah, so, exactly. you know, there, there's a difference. And, and both... Groups are represented by, you know, by Paul and one and, and the rest of the apostles. You know, one who was nurtured and got to see everything. The, you know, uh, James, uh, you know, the, the skeptic there. And then Paul, who was, you know, later, who's seen this quote-unquote, as a critic would say, risen Jesus were still. So every possible yeah. group of, of persons is, is uh, accounted for. And all, all their lives have changed, and they still are. Understood as a young student in yeah. college, but you know now at this stage of life, I see it as you know to me the greatest proof. And the, to back that even further, uh, uh, the in in recent history, uh, the fastest growing church is the Chinese church, and they're some of the most persecuted people for believing this, uh, but they continue to believe it. Um, so there, there's something to it. I mean, I, I could have went into, you could talk about miracles, you know, you could get into all that. Uh, uh, you know, one really popular theory against it is the, the swoon theory. You know, he just fainted on the cross and then, and then somehow got up out of, the, out of the tomb himself, either dug himself out or moved the rock. 
and got past the guard. A lot of people believe that. But, you know, that falls flat on one and six. And it also just, like, we just have to think about these things. You know, you know just, again, why I hammered home uh, the crucifixion. That, how could somebody physically have just gotten up, gotten out of the tomb himself, rolled the rock away or dug out or whatever, got past the guard. Again, the guards are no joke. If, if they would have let something happen, they would have been killed for it because their life was dependent on their job. Uh, and then, you know, how would the, if that all happened, Jesus shows up to the disciples and then, you know, he's all bloodied up, he's all nasty and, and just shredded. Like, how would that give them hope that he's the Messiah and he's the God that he presented himself to be? So, you know, we just had to think about, uh, put a little bit of thought into these different theories and what people will say and what people will, will put for, will put in front of you and be like, well, no, nah, this is what happened. Well, no, this is actually, you know, here's some reasons why that, that couldn't have happened. And then here's some facts that everybody agrees on. Now, you tell me why that's not true. Um, but... Uh, there's many different ways that you can approach something like this. Like, I, And the reason I mentioned these names of these guys to you is because they all kind of go at it a little different way. Um, and uh, so there's just more and more you can learn from it. Uh, so that's that. Um, can you pray us out? Sure. Father, thank you for this. Lord, we do know that you showed yourself alive by many accountable proofs. And as we just uh, are only able to scratch the surface, we weren't there to for all those appearances, Lord, that you made after your resurrection. Uh, but, Lord, we have obviously sufficient here to uh, understand and believe this. Most of all, Lord, we give thanks for your Holy Spirit uh, joining each and every one of us who believe, Lord, that we can understand these truths and see things, Lord, that you have given for our good church to, to know and for the world to believe. Thank you for Aaron's love for you and his, his love for your work in Jesus' name. Get involved practically in the fight against abortion by supporting and donating preborn.org. So many of us talk about hating abortion, but how many of us actually do something about it, fighting it even if it's just donating your money? Donating and even getting involved with preborn.org is a very easy, very practical way to get in the fight for the most innocent among us. Not only does your support provide ultrasounds and counseling, it also provides maternity clothes, baby clothes, diapers, and formula. More importantly, your sponsorship gives a young mother an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help fight for that life in the womb that has no voice, and help fight to give hope to that mom and family on the outside of the womb. $28 pays for one ultrasound, where it is found that 80% of moms will choose life if they have seen an ultrasound of their baby. Support at preborn.org.